0: Your biological age is essentially uh, on on the grim side of things. It's essentially your likelihood of mortality, right? So every year that you get older, the chances that you pass away go up. It makes sense. A 15-year-old is much less likely to die from a disease than a 90-year-old, right? By many orders of magnitude. So if you're 40 years old and you're biologically 35 years old, compared to another 40 year old who's biologically 47 years old, there's a 12 year gap between you and that other person who was born on the same year. And that 12 year gap can can mean, I don't know the exact mortality table numbers in my head, but realistically you might have 300%, or that person might have a 300% higher chance of mortality than you, three times higher chance of dying this year than you do, right? In addition, it's also just how, how young your system biology is. So your cellular fitness, your ability to do things that young people are able to do. That's you know uh, to be athletic, to stay up late, to have a good memory, to you know, get restore, deep restorative sleep, even what you look like in the mirror.
1: Welcome to the HNL Movement Podcast, where everything is geared to leveling up your performance in activities, sports, and life. Join me in my professional journey as I share my knowledge and experiences while also learning from professionals, colleagues, clients, and you with one goal in mind, how to optimize human performance. This is the right place to learn how a multidimensional approach will sustain the performance and lifestyle you desire. Welcome back everyone to the h and Movement Podcast. For all of my new listeners, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. You're in for a treat. This is a great one. And for all of the returning listeners, thank you again for all of your support. And if you haven't heard some of the previous episodes, you can take a look at the previous library of content and go check that out on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. I've also been putting up a lot of short video highlight clips of the guest interviews. So you can check out the video content that matches the audio content that you've been listening to. And there's been a lot of great guest interviews. A lot of people that have shared their stories, their journey, a lot of insights, experiences that will help us along our journeys as well. And I've covered a lot of solo topics, so you're in the right place to hear about everything that deals with optimizing human performance, everything from injury prevention or rehabilitation topics, of course, strength and conditioning, exercise, movement and training, and sports nutrition strategies as well. In addition to everything that you hear on the podcast, go check out my YouTube channel. I'm putting up a lot more educational resources, tutorials, Insights information up there. You can also check out all of my social media channels. So everything's at HNL Movement on YouTube. You can search for HNL Movement and you'll see all of the podcasting clips and all of the other video content as well. And as always, I hope that you're finding a lot of value out of this. So if you like the content, please feel free to leave a helpful review, rate the podcast, like the YouTube videos, leave comments, give me some feedback, or message me as well. I would love to hear how this is benefiting you and how it's helping you to achieve more with all of that let's jump straight into today's episode and we have a very fascinating topic that pertains to all of us because we all age throughout life and this is all about aging longevity a lot of research and what this person has done with the creation of their company Novos And we have Chris Miraboli joining us on the podcast, who's the founder and CEO of Novos, and we're gonna dive into everything about longevity. So he really breaks down concepts. I enjoyed learning so much in this episode, and he breaks it down for us to understand some of the intricacies and complexities of what goes into all of the research, what kinds of solutions they're providing, and also how multifactorial it is that lifestyle plays this huge role in supporting overall health and helps us to live longer and more active and happy lifestyles. Chris also shared his stories, some of the things that led him down this path to not only create novels, but on this lifelong endeavor and passion to really understand how can we impact our biology when it comes to longevity. Also, be sure to stay tuned to the end when he starts to talk about some of the resources, educational content, and all of these things on their website that we can learn more about longevity. I will put all of that in the show notes as well so you can check that out. But there's a lot of great resources, a lot of research. Of course, there are products to assess and support our biology. So you can check all of that out outside of this podcast. I'm really excited to bring this episode to you. So I hope you enjoy this episode and let's jump straight into it. Welcome back everyone to the h Movement Podcast. I am super excited about this episode. We're gonna dive into a lot of interesting things that pertain to all of us because we're all aging and we're gonna talk about longevity and aging, but I'm so happy to have Chris Miraboli, He's the CEO and founder of Novos to join me today. So welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you, Andrew, it's nice to be here. Yeah, so let's dive into it first. Uh, before we get started on your journey, what great things you're doing with Novos. Let's start with, just give us the elevator pitch of what Novos does, what you have founded and created, and some of the interesting, fascinating things that we all should pay attention to.
0: Sure, so Novos is a consumer longevity biotech company. So that's a lot, Uh, what does that actually mean? So we are uh, one of the very first companies that is addressing consumer longevity as opposed to anti-aging, which has been around for decades or even centuries. Um, Anti-aging, I would describe as something that tends to try to hide the signs of aging. For example, maybe moisturizing your skin makes your skin look a little bit healthier, but it's not changing anything fundamentally biological about your aging process. Whereas longevity, and there's an entire field of medicine and uh, biotech for the longevity field, is looking at the causes, the underlying biological causes of aging, and how can we interrupt those, those causes or support the healthy function of those aspects of biology so that you can, as we like to say at Novos, stay younger for longer. And so Novos is a, is a consumer company in this space. You oftentimes will, if you dig into the field, look, you'll find uh, biotech's academic professors, um, even pharmaceutical companies that are looking for opportunities in this space and developing novel treatments. Uh, but there are very few consumer companies. And so I started Novos because there wasn't anything out there as far as I was concerned to be able to do today for myself, for my family, for my loved ones, to be able to address what's known as the hallmarks or mechanisms of aging. These are essentially the causes of aging. I wanted to be able to do something now beyond the obvious like eating healthy or exercising or getting good sleep. And um, and that is when I decided to create Novos.
1: That is awesome. And you this company I believe started in 2019. Yes, that's yes. that's
0: when we began on the R and D side of things, and then we eventually launched uh, the first uh, formulation in January of twenty twenty one. so almost two years now.
1: And there's a lot of this is a whole industry and field that there's so much more growth that needs to be, you know, research that needs to be done. A lot of growth potential. But let's start with your story because it's really amazing. Well, you have a very unique story. And it's something that I think it sets you up for what you're doing right now. But also it's a lot of things that I think people can relate to in some aspect because we all grew up, you know, doing things to try to impact us right now without realizing some of the effects or long-term consequences of what it has on our overall lifespan. But before we dive into that, the other thing that is super fascinating and amazes me is that this is not your background like your background is not in aging your background is in business and being an entrepreneur right so you have to even when you're explaining the elevator pitch about what nobles does your understanding of this has grown so much i can imagine the more that you dug deeper so let's talk about your story now you can start you know back in your childhood kind of what started I've heard snippets of it, but explain to the listeners what started your journey down this path to be super interested and wanting to help all of the general public with this type of aspect of lifespan.
0: Sure. So you're correct, Andrew, in, in saying that my professional career path to this point, although it's been very entrepreneurial, it hasn't been specifically in the field of biology. But my personal interest has always been in health and by extension biology. So starting when I was 12 years old and I picked up an issue of Men's Health magazine and decided I was inspired by by the, the people on the covers and wanting to be in good shape and to, at you know, 12 years old, attract attract uh, the girls in school. Um uh, so, admittedly, a very superficial motivation to get into health, but nonetheless, it was it was a positive outcome. I started exercising. I started uh, watching my diet, and at the time, it was one of those uh, low low fat, high protein diets. Mm-hmm. And then, fast forward to when I was 15 years old. Um, actually, today is the anniversary of it. So, while wow, 23 years ago today. I suddenly had a seizure and it turned out that it was caused by a brain tumor. And Mm -hmm. a few days after, just about three days after um, I was operated on because it was a very large tumor. It was larger than a golf ball uh, in my left temporal lobe. And uh, they had to immediately remove that. And so my interest in health very quickly evolved. I began asking myself existential questions about life what I wanted to derive from it, how I wanted to shape my life or almost design my life and my future. The fact that I never wanted to be laying in a hospital bed again, thinking about my mortality and um, how fragile my life was. And uh, so that evolved my interest in health from one that was purely superficial to one that now had this much more important aspect to it, which was biology of health, cellular fitness, avoiding disease and so on. And so I began to uh, over over the months and years and decades, technically began to then start digging into the science behind health. And um, there was a point where I began, uh, I was introduced to someone named Dave Asprey, who founded Bulletproof brand and bulletproof coffee and so on. Uh, And he introduced me to the idea of biohacking. So I began to biohack uh, on my own with with different goals like focus and memory and uh, physical performance and so on. And I was experimenting with different supplements, different uh, diets, different uh, exercise routines, uh, sleep hacking and so on. Uh, But all the while I was asking myself the question, Are the things I'm doing right now good for me, not only today for this specific biohacking goal, but also good for me in the long-term? Is this going to have any sort of negative side effect or consequence in decades from now? And the answer was actually, believe it or not, sometimes it wasn't good for you in the long-term and the short-term. And I'll give a very simple example of that. sun exposure is something that you think of as being in some senses, beneficial it increases vitamin d production but not only that it increases nitric oxide production which is good for your heart it's a vasodilator it increases endorphins which are the feel-good neurotransmitters it makes you um, happy and, and in a good mood but at the same time it also increases the the chances of well, DNA mutation definitely happens from the UV rays, but it increases the chances over the long-term for melanoma, uh, for different types of cancer. And so this is something that I didn't know at the time, but I was stumbling upon uh, a concept known as antagonistic pleiotropy, which is the a big word for a simple concept, which is essentially that what is good for you in the short-term can actually come back to harm you in the long-term. It's actually a little bit more advanced than that related to genetics, but like that's the the simple way to think about it. And so I then started to look at everything through that lens of what is good for me, not only in the short term, but also in the long term. Are there things that I can do today that will accomplish my goals of, say, better focus, better physical performance, improved energy, improved mood, while also leading to better health outcomes in the long term? And the answer is yes, there are actually things you can do to get the best of both worlds. You just need to look at everything through that lens. And so I began to do that. Uh, I began to research the science of aging, as I mentioned earlier, the biological root causes of aging. I began networking with scientists and talking to them about their papers that I was reading, asking them about Uh, different over-the-counter ingredients that have been found to impact the same mechanisms of aging or different biological pathways that are related to aging like mTOR or AMP kinase and so on. And I was surprised to find that the scientists were actually very optimistic about these ingredients. And I was surprised, I think, because the medical doctors, would always be very negative about supplements. They'd say, "Oh, you're creating expensive urine. You know, just follow my advice and then take prescription drugs when things go wrong," right? Which like mm-hmm. we know the medical system's broken. But scientists, they look at the research in its purest form and they let the experimental evidence point to the truth. And they're not, you know, basing their opinions on the pharmaceutical agenda at least most of the time they're not. And so this was enough for me to say, okay, there is something here. There is potential to impact these hallmarks of aging without having to invent an entirely new molecule that needs to go through the FDA approval process over the span of years and potentially decades and um, may very well end up failing because it's not safe enough or it's not powerful enough. And it's something I can use today and I can provide to my family, my loved ones, and then the community community at large. And that's essentially how Novos was born.
1: That is, yes, it's a long journey and I can tell this is your passion. And yes, like you said, I can appreciate that too, because- being in research and you know i'm in the infancy stages but yes you look through everything with you're trying to take out as much bias as you can you know everyone's going to have a little bias but you're just looking at the data and finding ways to either explain things or having the science explain it for you right and i think with all of the things nowadays you know there's so many things so many competitors trying to sell you the same product and all of that A lot of that can cloud kind of what is the ultimate goal right of getting this to work in this case it would be either a supplement or a longer lifespan right so all of that is definitely something that I can appreciate before we get into all of the the ins and outs of Novos let's backtrack a little bit because you know I can that was definitely a life-changing experience you know unfortunately you had to go through that and you know as a high school kid right you don't want to have to even think about that right so let's talk a little bit more whatever you're willing to share like after that you had the brain surgery right and i'm assuming everything was clear nothing returned or anything you can share about that too but what was your health and fitness how did that impact i guess your lifestyle health and fitness besides looking into research now like did you have to take certain considerations in, were there certain restrictions with like, what you could do for the next year or two, or kind of explain some of that. What was the obstacles that you had to overcome?
0: Yeah, so after the operation, um, first of all, I was put on anti-seizure medication, which um, I had to take for more than a year. And uh, that was a real challenge because combined with the inflammation from the actual operation, the neuroinflammation plus that medication—it slowed me down. I, I was unable to perform in school. Uh, so, you know, prior to that, I had done well in school. It, it came relatively easily to me. And then, uh, I remember, for example, having a tutor coming to my home to teach me history, and that tutor asked me to repeat the sentence she had just read to me five seconds earlier, and I couldn't repeat it because I couldn't remember it like that's how, how uh, far I had fallen from where I once was, right? And I was taking physics and uh, some advanced courses, statistics, and I I had to try to keep up with all of that, which was an enormous challenge. It was also eye-opening in the sense that I could understand what it felt like to have a learning disability, for example, to not really be able to keep up with things and how humbling that experience was. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only that, prior to the surgery, there was a procedure where they turned off different areas of my brain prior to doing the surgery, just to see exactly what they might be messing with when they were removed the tumor. And um, as part of that, they turned off my speech. So they showed me a banana. And they said, Chris, what is this? And I had no idea that they were doing this. I didn't know what to expect. And so the first thought in my mind was, do you think I'm stupid? I don't know what a banana is. I've known what a banana was since I was like three years old, Uh right. And I tried to say banana, and it came out as Uh I couldn't actually articulate words. Mm -hmm. and again that was a humbling experience to be able to 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 feel how frustrating that could be and so to your point of you know how difficult the experience was and not ever wanting to go through that especially as a high school student although i agree with that and i would never want to go through it again it was also one of the greatest gifts i was ever given i was forced into that position but by being in that position and then choosing to try to derive lessons from it and to emerge stronger in a better place from it, I was able to, to grow a lot from that experience. Back to your, your question, uh, other things. So I wasn't able to play contact sports. So I had played on the high school football team. I was no longer able to play. Uh, in fact, I went from you know, Friday nights hanging out with friends uh, from the football team and so on to spending them alone writing poetry uh, about my experience and about life and so on. So it was majorly transformative in Mm -hmm. in that way as well. Um, I wasn't supposed to weightlift uh, for uh, a few months. Um, I kind of snuck it in in the basement of of my my parents' house uh, that I grew up in. And then in terms of coming back, I set a goal for myself. So there was um, something known as the National Physical Fitness Championships that the United States Marine Corps hosts in San Diego, California. And I had read about it in the newspaper and I was inspired by it uh, because I had always been really into physical fitness before this happened to me. And I said, this is a great goal for me to set for myself to not only get back to where I was, but to exceed where I was and it included things like pull-ups and push-ups and sprints and long jump and so on. And I qualified and okay. I placed um, uh, seventh in the United States. So this was just uh, just over a year after okay. um, coming out of the surgery, maybe roughly speaking, maybe 18 months later in my senior year of high school. Um, and so I was I was very happy, fortunate to be alive, to be able to do that and then to have Succeeded. I think at first, that's what I wanted. But uh, ultimately, I was, I was happy with the outcome.
1: Thanks so much for sharing that. I mean, that alone, y- you're going to inspire a lot of people. And I can tell it says a lot about how you persevere through things, your drive, you know, even your character of this is, like you said, you emerge stronger right from this because we all have our own ways to overcome obstacles, adversity and stuff. But this is, you know, very, it's a no, like, just regular daily adversity right you had to really look at yourself kind of reflect and it also led you down this passion and career path right that you're doing now to try to really understand some of the influences not only of what you went through but just influences of what affects our body at the cellular level right so I mean thanks so much for sharing that a lot of people you know I work with people going through injuries granted not that extreme right everyone has their own kind of obstacles that they're facing but that is a huge aspect is to shift your entire lifestyle whenever you suffer through any type of injury that's going to take a long time to recover right so thanks so much for sharing that sure and, and andrew i
0: i i just want to say like when comparing what i've been through versus what other people go through in their lives I actually think that it, it's it's not fair to say what I went through was harder than what mm-hmm. someone else is going through because sometimes, sometimes the more extreme health issue like I'm going through, um, it kind of shocks you into a different mindset and um, and and then you behave differently and so on. And sometimes, the day-to-day frustrations of, you know, being in pain or something else is more wearing on people. So I, I I try not to compare what I've been through and say that it was harder than what someone else is going through because it's all subjective. We all have different minds and we interpret experiences differently. Yes. But with that said, I think just the the overall message of trying to learn from the experience and uh, trying to grow from it and setting goals for yourself uh, to achieve and and try to motivate yourself or have people in your life that can help to motivate you. Mm -hmm. I think that that's the most important thing, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of how difficult it is.
1: Yes, that's very true. Thank you for sharing that too. You know, for all of us, we can all take something. We can always learn from all of these struggles, obstacles, adversities. And like you said, set goals for yourself. And I, I like that you strive to push your body physically too, and you competed. I mean, seventh place in the nation, right? It's nationwide that is uh a huge feat and i'm so glad that you got back into everything that you could do physically and started to push yourself there because i know that was a huge aspect of your life right so let's talk moving forward now as you start to learn more about biology biohacking and all of that what were some of the big lessons learned initially that led up to creating novels like what were you experimenting with or what kinds of short-term effects or long-term knowledge were you gaining from all the people that you were talking to and what were some of the key landmarks I guess or events along the way that really started to make you look towards let's get this kind of conceptual understanding out to the general public
0: yeah well I I think uh... Some of it was coming down to my diet. So I was experimenting at first with the paleo diet, probably late 20s, early 30s. I then moved on to a ketogenic diet and um, I tried to make that work for a long time and I couldn't get it to work. What I was experiencing was in some cases just, yes, I was getting the clarity of mind. I was focusing better. I was feeling energized and so on. But then as the weeks and months would go on, I would feel almost like a different person. Like my personality shifted somewhat. I was more serious. uh, My mood wasn't as good. I I wasn't as necessarily optimistic and so on. And so what I, I believe happened was that I was getting a lot of energy through perhaps stress hormones like cortisol. And I, over time, my neurotransmitters and my hormone levels were were kind of falling out of out of place because i wasn't getting enough carbohydrate in my diet and i believe that to be the case because by adding the carbs back in it was almost like the light switch was turned back on every time i would do it and i was stubborn i tried so many times over the span of years to make it work and i would like go back to the keto diet and then go three four months and then you know it would be so gradual it was almost like a frog in boiling water i wouldn't notice it until it was like getting really hot and then i would add the the carbs back in and it's like oh wow i was in boiling water i should jump out of this right that now, now part of what i was interested in with the keto diet was things like reduction in mTOR now mTOR me- mechanistic target of rapamycin is a biological a pathway that's stimulated by, by a protein in our body that will basically turn on um, a growth pathways. It's also involved in our, in our immune system as well. But essentially, when you have protein in your diet, you're stimulating mTOR, especially animal proteins and proteins high in leucine and amino acid, and carbohydrates to a lesser degree, but still will stimulate it. And in a strict form of keto diet, you are extremely low on carbohydrates and you're also relatively low or moderate intake of protein. And uh, so the rest is coming from fat. And so learning about mTOR and the implications for aging, and also AMP kinase is impacted by by, uh, a keto diet and AMP kinase is also relevant to aging pathways and the hallmarks of aging and so on. I started to research that and understand that, and I wanted to maximize the benefits as much as possible there, while also simultaneously learning about longevity, as I mentioned before, through this other you know, path in my life, and looking at, at the work of people like Aubrey de Grey at the SENS Research Institute, um, and then eventually um, people like, when it comes to mTOR, um, Dr. David Sabatini of MIT, I met with him at at a mitochondrial summit at at NYU hospital. And so all of these things were kind of coming together at at the same time. But experiencing something that was becoming mainstream, the ketogenic diet and all of these purported benefits uh, from it. But then in my real world experience, seeing that it didn't quite work out that way and i studied it like to the t every single thing I, tr- I spent hours each night trying to find uh different hints and clues maybe i was doing something wrong maybe i could like add more potassium or sodium to my diet and maybe fix it right like there were all of these ideas and ultimately no it just it didn't end up working for me and so that reinforced that notion in my mind of you know first of all what's good for you in the short term might not be good for you in the long term maybe i was Feeling the energy in the short term but as the weeks and months went on maybe this was a preview of things that might be negative for me that i'm just not aware of quite yet and maybe there are certain carbs that could do good things for my my life when you look at longevity um, zones so there's something known as the blue zones there's five of them in the world Uh, this is the communities with the highest level of centenarians per capita it's in like sardinia italy for example okinawa japan uh it's in costa rica california and in greece they tend to have diets relatively high in carbohydrates like in sardinia they're getting as much as 70 percent of their energy intake in the form of carbohydrates so there is like a missing link there there's something about like the theory that the scientific theory of a keto diet being good for longevity and then there's the practical reality of looking at the longest lived people and seeing that they're very, very far from ketogenic diet. And so this is just an example of some of the things that I was experiencing in my, in my actual waking life and trying to piece, put the pieces together and to better understand longevity and uh, the different aspects of what you hear promoted on the internet or from you know, health influencers and so on or that is theoretical in the scientific community versus the practical real world outcomes and trying to find the middle ground where things actually are in agreement with each other.
1: Yes, that is definitely the key. I, and I like how you tried a lot of things, you experienced the practical aspect and implications, but you're also digging into literature, like actual literature and trying to understand this, not just you know on the surface level, but really trying to understand this talking to people at conferences and summits, right? Talking to the actual researchers themselves, because yes, I would say there's oftentimes, especially with information so readily available today, there's a huge gap or disconnect between what is practically or clinically going on and what the research is actually saying and moving towards. Because as you know, looking through all the research, there's still a lot of gaps in literature or research that we still need to fill fill, but the information that we have how can we make that applicable to in your case you know like everyone right to try to start to mitigate or not mitigate but maybe reduce the effects of aging right and that's what i want to talk to next because what was some of the key events or ideas or did you have a light bulb moment epiphany to say OK, let's take what I know now and let's work towards developing a company that can package this knowledge, information, resources, supplements. Right. How did that kind of push you in that direction to go down this path? Sure. And before I answer that, Andrew, one thing I want to say based on the last
0: thing we were we were talking about is not only looking into the scientific literature, that's important, but it's also worth mentioning that. Uh, you, I'm sure you're familiar with this uh, because of your field of study, that what's actually published in the paper is only part of the story. And when you talk to the researcher, they are a treasure trove of information, of insider information, so to speak, of like the complexities and like their theories of why things are happening and the hypotheses and different experiments they wanna run and areas that they're questioning the outcome of their study and so on. And when you talk to the researchers, you realize there's far, far more to the story. And on the internet, you don't get that depth, right? And so you will. All, there will be a new scientific paper uh, published. And then all of a sudden, everyone, I mean, we experienced this at the company. There was a study that, that found that the combination of glycine and N-acetylcysteine, um, two amino acids, when taken at very, very high doses, can increase the amount of glutathione production Um, in seniors. And glutathione is a a very strong antioxidant, right? So it's something our bodies naturally produce and you have less of it as you age. And um, it's a very, since it's so powerful, The belief is that you should get as much, have as much of it as possible as as you're aging. And so a lot of customers are saying, why aren't you selling this yet? And it's like, first of all, this is one study, right? But second of all, what you're also not taking into account is the amount of N-acetylcysteine you have to take in is in the order of multiple grams, five, six, seven grams. Typically, when people take N-acetylcysteine, they're taking less than a gram when they take it for other reasons, like 500 milligrams, 750 milligrams. Now, there are studies in mice where they find that high doses of N-acetylcysteine can increase the occurrence of cancer. And there are theories why that happens. I won't waste time going into those theories, but the point is that there's a lot more to the story than what you get from looking at one paper in isolation, much less not even talking to the researcher. So there's a lot more that you get when you have a holistic understanding of the body of research which no one individual has. But we as a company, we talk to many researchers. We have a a team of six scientific advisory board members from Harvard, MIT, and the Salk Institute, world-renowned longevity researchers. But what we don't have on our website is the dozens of other researchers we're also talking to, to then formulate our positions on different topics like the one I, I, I just mentioned.
1: Yeah, before we go into the next part, I love that you said that because that is so true. And it's giving a it's giving people one i think a inside peek as to how complex this is but also what you're doing and you're doing your due diligence to make sure that you know you get all of this information and you synthesize the literature because like you said one study that is like literally a couple blades of grass in like a whole grass field and you're just basing it off of that right so i think that's important in any research field right research talking to the actual researchers your decades of work and understanding and theories and you know all of the explanation that is not in that paper that is exactly what's the gems i guess the hidden gems right but anyway not to interrupt you but you can continue and then if you want to mention what kind of led you into developing the novels too.
0: yeah the, you asked about the the light bulb moment um I had a former uh, technology venture. It was actually of all industries, commercial real estate, and had um, the opportunity to step away from that and and take some time to think about what I wanted to do next, what my next venture would be. And um, I was very fortunate to not have to focus on like, you know, getting back to work as soon as possible and making money. I had a little bit of time to really think about what, if I had to choose, what would be the best thing for me to work on? And the answer was, obviously health and almost definitely longevity, but I didn't know what. And I started attending conferences and I would hear scientists present their their novel uh, perspective on a specific aspect of biology or hallmark of aging and a possible product that can come from that, but it was on the biotech side. And I was very honest with myself, I'm not a biotech entrepreneur. I've never done anything in that space. Could I learn? Sure. But would there be a learning curve? Yes. Compared to consumer technology, which is what I was, uh, my whole you know, professional experience has been, for the most part, on the consumer side of, of technology. So I knew consumers. I knew how to uh, build businesses that speak to consumers. So that's what I wanted to do. But I didn't know what I could do and so that's when I started to network with the scientists and um just by coincidence I, I was at NYU hospital this is where my brain tumor was removed and I was volunteering with the children in the pediatric ward because when I was in the hospital I promised myself one day I would give back and it had been I think 16 years so I had it removed when I was 15 16 years old uh 16 not 15 so when I was 16 years old and then at 32 it's like that entire time period 16 years has gone by and i've done nothing and i was single no kids it's like if i don't do it now when am i ever going to do it so i started to volunteer to spend time with the kids and kind of mentor them or be like a big brother to them uh, for four hours a week every thursday and one day i was leaving and i had this in the back of my mind like i want to start something in this space and i saw a poster on the wall for what was called the mitochondrial summit and i saw some researchers names who i was familiar with from their work and I was like, I got to go to this. I got so excited. I was the only non-PhD or PhD candidate uh, at, that, at that event. But I, I cornered the, the scientists after they would speak and asked them questions uh, related to longevity. And that's when I got the validation that I alluded to earlier, that there are natural substances that could positively impact these hallmarks of aging and that um, it was distinct from what I thought medical doctors would, would say, that scientists said something a lot more optimistic. And, and, and that was enough of a validation for me that there is something here, and it is in, a, in an area that I can play in, in. In other words, consumer-driven, something I felt comfortable with and that I could succeed with. So uh, first and foremost was to figure out what could I create that i would want to take every single day of my life and to share with my family and that was like the standard i I held everything to if i could create a formulation that met that standard then i knew i had something to get started with to then create a business out of and then i had of course a vision for something much bigger than that which is what novos is now becoming and what we will become but it was that first kernel of a formulation that I wanted to take that no one was creating. And I wanted it in a convenient, easy-to-do carrier or, or uh, form factor, which we created at, as a powder drink mix rather than taking a dozen pills a day. And, uh, and that's how we started with Novos Core, our, our very first formulation.
1: Wow, that's amazing. And like you said, it kind of came full circle. And if you hadn't been in that specific place, you probably wouldn't have seen the poster and you wouldn't have met all of these professors and got to talk to them, right? Let's start diving in into, okay, as you started to create Nobles, because obviously you have done a lot of research, you have talked to a lot of people, you have a lot of people that you said are advising or consulting in the company too. So let's dive into the concept of longevity what kinds of things you guys are actually looking at. I know there's ways that you can measure or try to measure you know, your actual age and your biological age, right? Based off of so many facets of aging, right? Or longevity. So let's talk about that a little bit more. Talk about what are you looking at and what are these aspects or facets of longevity?
0: Sure, so I'm going to be saying a lot of big words very soon. So I hope I don't lose your audience with this, but I'll I'll try to keep it as comprehensive as possible. So I've mentioned multiple times that there are these 10 hallmarks or causes of aging. So I'll first mention those, and then I can talk about what you're talking about, which is the biological aging process or essentially your biological age versus your chronological age and how to measure it and what the implications of that are. So. The biological causes of aging. First is mitochondrial dysfunction. So mitochondria are like the power plants of your cells and they convert your protein and your fat and your carbohydrates into energy that then gives your brain the ability to think, your heart to pump and your muscles to be able to move. Um, And as you get older, they are not as effective at that uh, anymore. Then there's cellular senescence. Cellular senescence is a way to think of this is like, your cells turning into zombies. So uh, a cell can become damaged or even become cancerous. And as a protective mechanism, the body will then basically turn it off and it it, it is no longer functional, but it it unfortunately is not removed by the immune system, which would typically happen through a process process known as autophagy. Um, it, It kind of flies under the radar and it secretes what's called a SASP, S-A-S-P, a a senescence associated secretory phenotype. A big word for basically a simple concept, It, it lets out damaging molecules that can then cause other nearby cells to get damaged and become senescent as well. So like many things in aging, it's an exponential curve. As you get older, the number of senescent cells increases more and more. It's one of the reasons our skin wrinkles. That and cross-linking, which is a hallmark of aging I'll I'll mention in a few minutes. Um, But cellular senescence is one of the hotter areas in longevity research in terms of um, a promising method to be able to slow aging. For example, in mice, they've been able to destroy senescent cells and then bring an old looking mouse with like spotty hair and graying hair to look like a young mouse again. So um, it's a complex area, but as all of these areas are, but that's one of the more uh, promising areas of longevity research. Then there's something called loss of proteostasis. So this is um, also a simple concept with a big word. Uh, it's, It's proteins that accumulate inside and outside of our cells, which then interfere with their ability to properly function. So imagine you have garbage every day that you put out on the corner or sometimes you forget to put it out and you leave it in the kitchen. And if, if you don't have the garbage person coming to clean it up from the, from the sidewalk or you don't remove it from your kitchen, eventually it's gonna get in the way of you being able to use your kitchen. You can't use your, your appliances or you can't leave your apartment anymore or you can't enter it anymore, right? It, it just interferes, it gets in the way. And this happens within our cells as we get older. And so you wanna be able to clear those proteins properly so that the cell can function properly. Uh, next is altered intercellular communication. So uh, cells are are communicating with each other. This is how it, it like our our bodies are this this very complex network. Cells nearby and even far apart are communicating. They're letting out molecules that are essentially pieces of information, bits of information, like an incredibly advanced computer system would be, and signaling to these different cells how they should behave. And that starts to go awry uh, with things like senescent cells that I mentioned before, or inflammation can prevent it, or even what I just mentioned with proteostasis, preventing access to certain receptor sites on cells. So this communication starts to fall apart and, Um, then organs aren't functioning properly. Next is genomic instability. This is a commonly known one. This is DNA damage. Uh, This was once thought to be the reason why we get older. Uh, Scientists back in the 70s into the 80s thought that DNA damage was why we got older and that's why the antioxidant uh, perspective on aging gained so much steam. Even to this day, people say, you need antioxidants to not age uh, and to stay younger well that's only half true there are a number of antioxidants that can actually accelerate aging when you get too much of it for example vitamin e has been shown to accelerate aging if you get more of it than than you should Um, there are certain antioxidants that at a low dose are good for you but then at a high dose they can uh, be somewhat poisonous to our bodies right so It's not that clear, but what is clear is that we don't want our DNA to get damaged uh, because damaging the DNA can lead to cancerous mutations. Um, It can lead to a cell not functioning properly. It can lead to telomere shortening, which I'm going to mention telomeres in a few minutes. And telomeres, um, as they get shorter, can then lead to a higher risk of other diseases, which I'll, I'll talk about soon. And so overall, you want to protect the DNA and prevent it from getting damaged. But antioxidants are not necessarily the best way to do that. Next is epigenetic alterations. So this is going to come into play when I talk about the concept of biological aging versus chronological aging. But the epigenome, a way to think of it is you've got your genome. This is like a piano and its keys. And then the epigenome is the piano player or the music that is being played from the piano. And so you can have Mozart being played on the piano, or you can have a kid crashing down on the keys, right? Like there's a very wide range. And for most of us, we when we're born, we're playing Mozart or Tchaikovsky, whoever it is you like the most, right? Chopin. And then as, as you get older, certain keys that shouldn't be pressed are pressed or you're pressing the wrong key or uh, you lose the rhythm a little bit. Right. And as you get older, it becomes more and more chaotic. Mm -hmm. And this happens with our epigenome. So your epigenome is determining which genes are turned on or, or off, and it's influenced by the environment. So that could be the food you're eating, the air you're breathing, if you're getting UV radiation from the sun, if you're running, if you're sleeping enough or you're not sleeping enough, all of these things, this is the nature versus nurture, right? This is the nurture side of nature versus nurture. And you want to make sure that your epigenome is that of as young of a person as possible and is able to respond to the environment as appropriate. And so, As you get older, uh, it's not functioning as properly and there are patterns and those patterns are detected when it comes to biological aging, which we'll talk about in a minute. Next is telomere shortening, I mentioned this. So telomeres are the end caps of your chromosomes and they protect your DNA. Every time you have a cellular division, you produce a new cell, the telomeres get a little bit shorter. And at first, Scientists thought that maybe telomeres would be able to tell how old you are biologically since they are getting shorter with time. The problem is that the distribution of telomere length by chronological or even biological age is too wide. In other words, a 20-year-old might have the same telomere length as a 45-year-old. What we have found, though, is that when telomeres become too short, that's when there's a problem. So if you had telomeres that were seven kilobases long, that's the unit of measurement that they use. Whether you're 20 years old or 40 years old won't make much of a difference. But if if, if you have too few kilobases, uh, maybe five kilobases, then you have a much higher chance of uh, digestive tract cancers, for example, or general mortality. And so that's what you wanna look out for, for telomeres. And when you have a lot of DNA damage and you're replicating cells to try to have new healthy cells, you're gonna go through your telomeres or shorten them quicker. Now, the good news is you can actually lengthen telomeres or slow down the decline in telomere length. And that all plays into overall, what we try to do at Novos is to um, improve the outcomes of all 10 of these hallmarks of aging next is deregulated nutrient sensing so we're up to number eight out of ten we're almost done here so uh deregulated nutrient sensing is how uh, cells become less tuned into nutrient signals so this you can see on a blood lab that your doctor uh, orders for you for example your hba1c which is a measure of the glycation of of um, your red blood cells essentially your blood sugar levels what they have averaged over the last three months or so that will go higher and higher. In other words, your blood glucose control is not as tight as it is when you're younger and it becomes more and more diabetic. Cholesterol levels and triglycerides start to rise as you get older. So these are things that can cause inflammation and damage and glycation, and you want them to be kept within a, a, a low range. And that becomes a problem as we get older. Stem cell exhaustion. So stem cells are very commonly known when it comes to youth. A lot of people get stem cell transplants, not necessarily the best idea uh, with a few exceptions, but generally speaking, stem cells are cells that will create exact replicas of the cells you need for your tissues and your organs, right? So as you get older, your stem cells either die off or they become dysfunctional and they don't produce perfect replicas or copies of your cells. And so you wanna make sure that you can replenish and maintain these stem cells. And then finally, last is cross-linking. So as we get older, there are sugar-derived bonds that are formed between proteins that make up our tissues or even between fats as well that then lead to the tissue becoming more stiff. So this can manifest in the form of skin wrinkling or hardening of arteries and blood vessels. So um, that is another cause of aging and that, you know, all of these interact with each other. So what I mentioned about deregulated nutrient sensing and higher blood glucose levels is going to lead to more cross-linking and so on and so forth. So they all interact. And the perspective of Novos uh, that I presented to the scientists before starting the company was, wouldn't it make sense to try to address all of these simultaneously and to, rather than trying to just address one or two, which is what scientists are typically doing, they're focusing on their field of expertise and maybe trying to create like a, a therapy that only addresses stem cell exhaustion or only cross-linking. And said, so what if we could do something that address everything simultaneously? And they said, well, yeah, that certainly would most likely be the best way to approach this. The problem is when you're doing something on the FDA path, which is what you need to follow for biotech, You need to create something for a medical indication, and aging isn't a medical indication. So it needs to be for arthritis or for heart disease or neurodegeneration and, and so on. And they also need to stick with simple formulations like a single molecule. They can't combine 10, 12 things, at least not easily. And so when you go the natural path, which has less FDA regulation, we fortunately can combine, like we did with Novo's core, 12 ingredients that could address all 10 of these simultaneously. And so that's the overview of, of the, uh, the lens through which we look at aging and how we then formulate our products, how we communicate information to, to people, to the general public. And with all of that said, I'm happy to talk about biological aging versus chronological aging if you'd like, but I'll, I'll pause for a second in case you have questions.
1: That, no, that is a very good intro to the 10 aspects of aging because I've heard about all of these separately. I'm no expert in the field, but you know I read things here and there that pertain to kind of my field that I mentioned to you, osteoarthritis, but it's interesting to hear the perspective and kind of just that basic understanding as to, okay, these are why it's important. So for anybody out there, you know, this is the complexity of it. You, of course, simplified it down into 10 minutes, right? But it's so fascinating how much complexity there is, what's going on in our body. Our bodies are beings that we can't even understand fully, right? But even this knowledge of what you just shared, it makes sense what you're targeting, what the goal of your company is, to do all of this too. Let's jump into the biological age versus chronological age now, and then how you're actually detecting this, measuring this, what kinds of things you're doing to impact and lower your biological age, right? So why don't you explain a little bit about that?
0: Sure. So chronological age is what we're all familiar with when we ask someone what their age is. This is how long you've been alive for, how many times the earth has revolved around the sun is essentially your chronological age. Your biological age, on the other hand, is how old your biology is, essentially how well it is functioning. And somebody who is, let's just say chronologically 40 years old, might be biologically the equivalent of a 47 year old. For example, if they smoke a pack a day, they probably are on average about seven years biologically older, or they could be biologically younger. So for example, my most recent biological age test, which we'll talk about what those are in a minute, was done when I was about 37 and a half. And my biological age came back in my lower to mid 20s. I blog about this on slowmyage.com. I launched the blog about three months ago to share my results, but then also share my, my, my lifestyle, the things that I do to have reached these these numbers. And the, the laboratory that ran the test for, for me, uh, first of all, they couldn't believe the results. They said they've never seen results like this before. And then they ran, um, triple checked my, my sample and the computer algorithm and made sure that it was correct. And they're like, yes, this is in fact correct. So I, I was very, very happy to, to find that it wasn't, um, it wasn't an error to get those <laughs> results. But uh, there are multiple ways to try to measure one's biological age. And they range from epigenetic testing to looking at the proteome, uh, the transcriptome, telomere length, uh, facial age, and so on. And I'll explain what all of these big words mean in, in a second, but what's the value of it? The value of it is it is your biological age is essentially uh, on, on the grim side of things. It's essentially your likelihood of mortality Right? So every year that you get older, the chances that you pass away go up. It makes sense. A 15-year-old is much less likely to die from a disease than a 90-year-old right? by many orders of magnitude. So if you're 40 years old and you're biologically 35 years old compared to another 40-year-old who's biologically 47 years old, there's a 12-year gap between you and that other person who was born on the same year. And that 12-year gap can, can mean, I don't know the exact mortality table numbers in my head, but realistically you might have 300%, or that person might have a 300% higher chance of mortality than you, three times higher chance of dying this year than you do, right? In addition, it's also just how, how young your system biology is. So your cellular fitness, your ability to do things that young people are able to do. That's, you know, uh, to be athletic, to stay up late, to have a good memory, to, you know, get restore, deep restorative sleep, even what you look like in the mirror. So one of the uh, longevity tests out there, it's the, um, in our perspective, the the most reliable, powerful biological age test that exists right now. It's called the Dunedin Pace Clock, which I'll also talk about soon. One of the things that they've, they've created, these researchers, was they took... The uh, 45 year olds, all chronologically 45, then they took the 10 youngest biologically aged, 10 oldest, and the 10 average, closest to the mean. And they merged with the computer software, they merged the faces of these people. And then you see female and male, and you see the biologically youngest, and then you look at them next to the biologically oldest, and they clearly look like more than a decade apart in terms of their age, when they, again, were born in the same year. So that just goes to show that it, it manifests not only internally in what we're capable of and in terms of our likelihood to get a disease of aging, like cancer, Alzheimer's, osteoporosis, whatever, but also what you look like, which a lot of people are concerned about. So the different tests, epigenetic testing is many would argue the most powerful way to measure biological age. I mentioned the epigenome earlier, so there are patterns in which genes are turned on and off, and scientists have been able to identify these patterns and write algorithms that could then essentially tell you how old you are biologically. The first generation of these clocks were tuned to chronological age. That was their endpoint that they wanted to get as close to as possible, but then they realized that there was more value in understanding essentially mortality risk or risk of a chronic illness of aging. And therefore, the second and third generation clocks now are correlated or based on your chances of a disease and and death. Now, the Dunedin-Pace clock that I mentioned before, this one's a little bit different. It doesn't tell you your biological age. It tells you your biological rate of aging at this point in time, which we believe is more important because Your past is your past. What's most important is what you're doing right now with your lifestyle. And is this accelerating your aging or decelerating your aging? And so one would be equal to one chronological year. And so that means biologically you're aging at the same rate, but you want that to be as low as possible. So for example, mine came back as 0.69, meaning I'm aging 31% slower with my lifestyle, which we can talk about if you care to than the average person my age. So that's the, that's the goal that we set for our customers is you want to try to reduce your biological rate of aging as much as possible. Now, beyond epigenetic tests, there are other omic uh, data sets. So epigenome is one of them, right? But then after your epigenome is your transcriptome. So this is the RNA. That is uh, the messenger, you know, so you have your DNA and then the RNA is like the messenger to then lead to protein production. And so there are ways to analyze your transcriptome to then calculate biological age. There's your proteome, which is the next step. It's the actual proteins that the RNA is producing, right? There's the metabolome. This is basically all of the molecules within our body. From the fats to even things that you're, you're uh, like artificial chemicals that you're ingesting, like microplastics and so on. All of this stuff is in your metabolome, and there are ways to look at specific molecules in your metabolome to then calculate biological age. There's a whole list of many different ways to measure the biological age. The question that we're most concerned with is what is the most accurate one that's also affordable and in peer review journals and so on. And so just last week, we released for the first time what's known as Novos Age. It's a biological age kit, which includes the Dunedin Pace clock, which was produced by Columbia University and Duke University researchers, and a biological age clock, which will tell you what your biological age is, and then a telomere length report, which will tell you how long your telomeres are and what percentile you're in for your chronological age Uh, we made a point not to show a biological age associated with it because as i mentioned before it's not that accurate but to make sure that your telomeres are not getting too short it's a valuable data point for you to know when you're monitoring your aging
1: we're going to circle back to some concepts because you shared a lot of great things there but since you mentioned it let's talk about how does your products even that age assessment kit how does that fit into everything? How can people get it? You know, what's the cost if you're, if you want to share it on here too, um, to kind of share what products and things that you have going on and coming out to in the near future.
0: Sure. So Novos is a, it's what's known as a PBC or a public benefit corporation. So I intentionally founded it in this way so that uh, we could do things that are good for the public, regardless of whether they were profitable or not. And so as an extension of that, I see Novos as having kind of like three legs to the stool, right? So one leg is the formulation, the second leg is testing, and the third leg is knowledge or information. And that knowledge and information is largely where the public benefit side of things come in, um, but also to some degree testing. So to your question, The very first thing you can get from Novos without spending a cent is the knowledge information that we share. So if you go to novoslabs.com slash blog, or you click the link at at the top of the site, uh, you can see more than a hundred articles that are scientifically referenced written by MDs and PhDs. The second thing that we offer for free is more on that second leg of the stool about testing. We have a longevity quiz or assessment that is on the top right corner of the site. You can click that link. And it takes about five to 10 minutes to complete, but it will give you a longevity score in terms of your lifestyle, how well synced up with with longevity research is that in, in terms of all different things, like the obvious things, but then the not so obvious. Like for example, do you floss? because did you know that if you don't floss you have a higher chance of heart disease and neurodegenerative disease because of the inflammatory molecules that make their way into your bloodstream right so it's a it's a fun quick little quiz but it can give you a lot of a lot of uh, knowledge another free test we offer is a facial age ai tool so you take a selfie you make sure the lighting is right and and you're not wearing eyeglasses and so on but It can tell you how old your face looks, how old your eyes look, as well as your overall skin health, like pore size, skin redness, wrinkling. And this is something that you can run the test once a month or once a year and just see how it's trending over time. So those are all free now to the paid part of Novos on the theme of testing. So we offer that test kit, Novos age that I mentioned, that is um, $349 for one kit or 2.99 for every subsequent kit that you, you purchase. We suggest that although you can see changes potentially in, in the Dunedin Pace Clock in as little as three months uh, from an intervention, and by intervention, I mean things like changing your diet, taking new supplements, changing your sleep routine, exercising more, and so on. We recommend you take it only once a year. Now that's not like good for our profitability, but it's, it's all about what is best for the customer. And uh, the reason we say once a year is because first of all, that is enough time to see changes in all of the clocks, but also uh, it minimizes confounding factors. So if you think of seasonality, if you take the test uh, December 1st, and then you take the next test February, uh, sorry, uh, uh, May 1st, Your lifestyle is so different between the winter months and the spring months, even things you might not realize, like for example, the amount of sun exposure you get or the amount of time you spend walking or the amount of alcohol you have or your stress levels. All of these different things have a role, play a role in your epigenome and your pace of aging and so on. So that's why we want you to ideally take the test on the same day or the same week or at least the same month of the year that you took the original one. If money's no object, take it every month, right? Like, <laughs> sure. Uh, but for most people, budget-minded, once a year is the is the right number. Uh, and then, in terms of the first leg of the stool formulations, we launched with two formulations. There's Novo's Core and Novo's Boost. We're most proud of Novo's Core. That is the 12 ingredient formulation that addresses all 10 hallmarks of aging. We filed for patents on this formulation. Uh, We developed it along with our esteemed scientific advisory board. We've run a number of scientific tests on it, two of which we've published so far, others are currently underway. The two that we've published, one was looking at DNA damage, it was found that we were able to reduce DNA damage on human cells in, in in vitro studies from irradiation by as much as 77% and I believe 68% on average. These numbers were off the charts. The lab has done $7 million worth of studies on, uh, of the same sort on different molecules, including some molecules in our formula, but they've never seen anything come close to this. And it. It's just the result of the synergistic nature of these ingredients being put together um, in the way that we have. The second study was looking at cellular senescence and found that we reduced the size of senescent cells to a similar uh, degree of magnitude as the gold standard prescription longevity drug, rapamycin, which for longevity enthusiasts and scientists, that's that's a very big feat for us to, to be able to, to say that. And then that to the, the question of pricing, if you order a year supply of it up front, it's $79 per month. So just over $2 per day. Um, if you do one single purchase of it without subscribing, it's uh, $109. So you get a significant discount if, if you're subscribing to the product. And then Novos Boost is one single ingredient. It's a very powerful ingredient. It's known as nicotinamide mononucleotide, or NMN for short. Dr. David Sinclair at Harvard, who wrote the book Lifespan, and a lot of people know, um, has popularized this ingredient based on his research. But many other labs have also done research on this ingredient. And uh, we look at it as a great addition to Novos core. So combining the two is the most powerful formula we believe exists for longevity purposes. Uh, But you could also take it on its own. And it's less expensive than Novos Core. um, If you subscribe, I believe it's under $33 uh, per month if you do a 12-month plan um, or just over $40 if you do a one-time purchase. So if if you don't have the budget to be able to buy the more powerful Novos Core, this is a good entry-level product. But ultimately, if we had to pick only one, it would be Novos Core. But ideally, both Novos Core and Novos Boost.
1: Got it. And yeah, there's this could be a whole nother series of episodes, but just real briefly, mention your team again because you have a lot of experts in the field that have done decades and decades of research that put all of their minds together to create these products, right? So explain a little bit about that team and then what is actually in Novus Core? Is it a lot of vitamins and minerals? Is it specific things that you can't really find in other, you know, even if it was standalone products like Briefly explain what the makeup is and how did you, who's the team behind this?
0: Sure. So, the scientific advisory board, I'll mention a, a few people. So, for example, we have Dr. George Church. He's a professor at both Harvard Medical School and MIT. He invented the first direct gene sequencing method in 1984. So, he is a legend in the field of biology. Uh, most people expect he'll get the Nobel Prize. Very, you know, uh, he's, he's a whale, well, so to speak, in, in the biology uh, field. A consultant uh, to, to Novos's uh, R&D and scientific team is uh, Dr. Matt Caberline. Matt Caberline is well known for his work in longevity and especially for his work with, I mentioned the drug rapamycin earlier. He created what's known as the Dog Aging Project, which was featured on the cover of Time Magazine where he is administering this prescription drug to dogs to slow down their aging, reduce their risk of disease and essentially help them to live longer lives. Very promising project and uh, very well-respected scientist. Another uh, member of our SAB is Dr. Uh, Pedro Malgahes. He's in the United Kingdom and uh, he's a TED speaker Um, maintains something known as a drug age database, which is the world's largest database of molecules that can positively impact the aging process across all different animal species. Uh, Dr. Pamela Maher at the Salk Institute, she is uh, particularly uh, experienced with, or an expert in plant-based molecules and their effects on health ingredients like quercetin, or what we have in Novos core, Fisatin and others, and especially looking at how they can impact neurological health. So those, those are a few of our, our scientific advisory board members. The co-founder of, of Novos, it's a longevity researcher, medical doctor, uh, which brings in some of the practical, real world considerations of, of uh, different therapies. So we have the scientific PhD thinking and then the actual clinical practice thinking as well. Uh, and uh, together, we all uh, put our minds together, dug into the research, considered probably a hundred different molecules that we could have included in, in the formulation, and we did a whole bunch of them out for all different reasons. Uh, we actually talk about the the qualifications or the filters that we put all of the ingredients through on our website. If you go to novoslabs.com how, we talk about how we, we created Novos uh, Core, and there are things like making sure that they, they can extend lifespan in multiple animal species, which indicates that the pathways that they're working on are most likely to be evolutionarily conserved into humans as well, to have positive impacts on human health. So it's, it's, it's very difficult to measure lifespan, the effect, lifespan effects of different uh, substances on humans because we live so long and it would be so incredibly expensive. So we have to look for surrogate markers or um, other outputs that can then indicate that it would extend lifespan and healthspan for humans. So by looking at other organisms, that's one way, like I just mentioned, but also looking at how humans, for example, when they take the substance, does it improve their health outcomes? Mm -hmm. Um, Does it improve their health? their blood lab results, does it, uh, if they're suffering from some sort of condition, does it improve their outcome from that condition, things like that, to prove that it's safe as well, that there are no side effects. So there's there's a whole bunch, I believe there's nine or 10 qualifications we put it through, uh, which you can find find on our website.
1: I will definitely put the links below and you have a lot of information. You have a lot of the free test and content too and research articles. So everyone can read about that. They can read about your team too. So go check all of that out. Let's circle back. I won't keep you too much longer. I know we're both really busy, but let's circle back. I like how you have a very holistic lens. So we've talked a lot about this formulation and the product that you can take daily, right? But as you mentioned, like epigenetics in one of the 10 facets of aging, right? that's a lot of the influence of what we do. That uh, nurture aspect, right? How we live our life, lifestyle, what kind of foods we eat, exercise, everything that we can think of that we encounter throughout the day, right? So briefly just touch on, we talked a lot about the formulation, the supplementation and things like that. But you've mentioned yourself, your biological age was lower because of the lifestyle that you lived and you've blogged about that and everything. So explain to the listener because A lot of the audience listening out there, I constantly preach that it's not just like a quick fix pill or supplement that you can take. There's all of these other facets that when we start to put them together with things like this, that's how we really get some of the long term benefits. So briefly talk about some of the things you do personally in your lifestyle or what types of things you try to, I guess, give resources or information to the general public that are pairing it with your formula that they're taking.
0: Sure, so yes, you're 100% correct that ideally it's, it's a holistic approach and you're considering all of the different aspects of your lifestyle and how they contribute to your overall health. Now, if you do only one of them, is it better than doing none? Of course. So uh, someone who's looking for the magic pill, uh, there's no magic pill that will solve everything, but it will benefit you more so than not taking it at all, just like eating a healthy diet will benefit you uh, more so than not. Uh, But with that said, the the best things to do. So when it comes to diet, we have at NovosLabs.com slash diet, the Novos Longevity diet. It's largely based off of the foundation of Mediterranean style diets, uh, which have been found to be the best for long term health. But there are some tweaks to it um, in particular, for example, reducing the starch intake and the grain intake and increasing the vegetables and mushroom intake as a replacement for it and a handful of other other recommendations in there as well. Second, when it comes to diet is not only the foods you eat, but the timing of those meals. And in other words, the time that you don't eat. So fasting, there is time-restricted eating So time-restricted eating would be only eating within a certain small window of hours each day. So maybe that is between 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. So that would be a six-hour eating window and that means an 18-hour fast. That would be a great way to go about your day. There's a lot of research, especially Dr. Sachin Panda at the Salk Institute who looks into the circadian rhythm and its impact on uh, your metabolism and ultimately your health outcomes that, that can result from that the quick thing to mention about that is that you could have two people, even twins eating the same foods, same number of calories and so on, but they eat at different hours during the day. And the one who has the smaller eating window that tends to be shifted towards earlier hours in the day will have better health outcomes, better metabolic effects, um, less weight gain, so on and so forth than the person who is eating for a wider window, um, especially later at night. Related to that would be fasting. So every so often, trying to go at least 24 hours, and as much as as crazy as it sounds, three days without eating any food. Once every quarter, I've I have, I've slacked a little bit recently. Maybe once every six months at this point, but um, I try to do once every quarter, where I go three days without food, um, and then once a week I try to go without food for 24 hours. So that might be like 6 or 7 p.m. dinner and then waiting until dinner the next day before I eat again. That's extreme for a lot of people, and uh, but it's actually much more manageable and easier to do when you work your way up to it. So for example, if you're only eating within that six-hour window, it's easy to then collapse that six hours to four hours, and then the next week collapse it to three hours and then eventually get to 24 hours. Your body adapts and there's a psychological element yes but overall there's also a biological element that metabolically makes you more capable of going longer without the food exercise at a minimum walk 21 minutes per day that is like a a magic number in terms of almost like Pareto's law of you know 80 20 principles so minimal effort to get a significant number of benefits it's not literally 80% of the benefits it's probably about 50% of the benefits but you'll get significant benefits if you're walking 21 minutes a day briskly but ideally you're walking a lot more than that and you're also getting some weightlifting high intensity interval training and you don't have to do steady state cardio but if you're not doing something like high intensity interval training then you probably want to do some steady state cardio um Like a higher intensity zone of cardiovascular activity like zone four zone five um, exercise and uh what else supplementation we already went over i'd say uh sleep is incredibly important don't neglect sleep if you do you run the risk of cardiovascular and neurodegenerative issues not immediately but if you look fast forward uh 10 years 20 years 30 years all of these topics i actually covered on a webinar so I did a webinar about a month and a half ago for longevity lifestyle. So if you go to YouTube and you search Novos longevity lifestyle, you'll see it. And um, I go into a lot of the research and the charts and the graphs and a lot of different topics, even talking about things like exposure to, to green. So being out in nature and the effects that that can have on your longevity, the fact that Air pollution is actually worse for your longevity than even cigarette smoke is. So a lot of interesting facts and then tips and pointers for each aspect of your lifestyle. I go through a full slide on
1: practical tips for each one of these topic areas. That's awesome. I will put the link in the show notes as well. So people can check that out. And thank you. The last question is there's so many great things that you shared and for everyone out there, I mean, the key takeaways, this is something that I'm always fascinated by is that how multifactorial your lifestyle is to actually contribute to living a longer life. And you can see your background behind you, right? The, the slogan or the motto is younger for longer, right? That's really what you're trying to do when you impart a lot of these healthier lifestyle habits right so let's talk the last thing i want to ask is like where's the future direction of nobles and if there were one key takeaway for the listeners to get from this podcast or any of the other content out there what is your big take-home message for everyone out there when it comes to longevity or living a healthy lifestyle
0: yeah, well, I, I think the, the number one take home message is what most people don't realize is it is possible to slow down and even reverse aging. We've shown it scientifically in the laboratory and, and we're showing it now in the real world as well. So, you know, aging is not inevitable. It is not something that cannot be uh, scientifically impacted and, and slowed down uh, to your benefit. And uh, now is the time. We have learned so much in the science of aging and longevity, gerosciences um, in the past decade, more so in the past decade than we knew probably combined throughout history prior to that. And this pace is accelerating. It's attracting the greatest thinkers in the world of biology to, to this field because of how much how much promise it, it shows. So now is the time to start to get involved, involved with it. And in terms of uh, what's next for Novos, I can't say too much, but you know we, inv- we, we see ourselves as, as being the household name, the, the leader for consumer longevity. So taking the latest innovations from the laboratory and through our network of connections with the scientists to, first of all, of course, carefully evaluate everything and, and have safety first, first do no harm, but then bringing these innovations to you in the form of knowledge or formulations or testing.
1: Awesome. That was a lot of great information. Thanks for staying on a little longer. But there were so many things that we could have dove into too that we didn't get to touch on. But check out the website, all the content that I put in the show notes. But other than that, thanks so much for joining me, Chris. I learned a ton. I'm sure the listeners learned a ton too. And we'll be on the lookout for everything else in the future.
0: Sounds good. Thank you, Andrew.